1: is 365 Sports, powered by
0: Sikkim365.com. Mitt Winter, Winter Sports Law on Twitter. NIL attorney, also sports law attorney, joins us on 365 Sports with Paul and Craig David Smoke. Mitt, thank you for your time. So how much, what right now is the number one, I guess, legal issue the NCAA should be most petrified about?
2: Oh, I don't know if I could narrow it down to one. I'm going to go with, <laughs> I'll go with two. Um, number one is just antitrust uh, litigation in general. Um, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the house case that is pending and it has a potential damages number in the multiple billions of dollars. Uh there's a new antitrust case filed by the same, Plaintiffs' attorneys, as the House case called the Carter case, um, that shares some similarities with the House case. Uh, so, and then the, actually the the transfer rule case that just happened on the federal court in West Virginia that doesn't allow the NCA to enforce its transfer rules anymore is also an antitrust case. So definitely antitrust law and litigation in general, and then I would say the uh, employment issue whether at least some college athletes are going to be declared employees at some point. Um, there's a couple of national labor relations board proceedings that are ongoing right at, right now um, that are going to answer that question for us. And then there's also a case pending in federal court called the Johnson versus NCAA case on, on the employment issue as well. So to me, those are the two big things just because they're, going to have a really big part in determining what the model for college athletics is going to look like moving forward.
1: So, Mitt, how do
2: they um,
1: deal – how do they get an address exemption? Did, does that seem likely or unlikely now? And um, when they do that, does that mean that they, they probably just need to come to grips with the fact that that they're going to lose on the employment thing too?
2: Yeah, in terms of the antitrust exemption, there's really two ways. Uh, number one, they could get a federal law passed that provides them with an antitrust exemption, and that's what the NCAA and conferences and some schools are lobbying the federal government to do right now. Um, you know, they've been spending a lot of time in Washington, D.C. Uh, with that lobbying effort. Um, I personally don't think that will be successful, at least this year um the second way they could get an antitrust exemption is if they collectively bargain with the athletes and for that to happen at least some athletes would have to be employees they would have to form a union and then when there's a union and an entity that negotiates with that union collective bargain collectively bargains with that with the union and they agree on rules like a salary cap Player movement, things like that; those rules, under labor law, are immune from antitrust law. So that's how, in professional sports, you have things like a draft and you know, like the salary cap, like I mentioned, and free agency periods, and all all that stuff you have in pro sports, is because those rules are collectively bargained by the players' unions and the leagues, and so it makes them immune from antitrust law.
0: Mitt, with your background, obviously in the legal profession, how much have you had to like ramp up a little bit? With what NIL transfer portal, all of what is going on now, realignment in college athletics.
2: Yeah, I'm kind of in a unique situation. I mean, obviously NIL's new, and so well, it's a couple of years old now. But it, you know, when it first was allowed, it was it was new for everyone. Um, but I had sort of been in a position that I didn't have to ramp up as maybe as much as some people. I had been working in college sports legal space for a pretty long time, Um, and I'm also a former college athlete. I played basketball at William & Mary, so I had that background as well. But I had actually represented the NCAA in some matters Mm. and the Big 12 and Conference USA. And so a lot of the cases I had worked on were kind of like the cases that led us to where we are now. Like I worked on the O'Bannon case and the Alston case and even a precursor to both of those cases called the White versus NCAA case, and all of those were about – college athlete compensation and, you know, in, in NIL in a way. I also worked on a lot of conference realignment stuff when I was working for the conferences um, as outside counsel, because, you know, the big 12 and conference USA have both been conferences that have had a ton of conference realignment over the past 10 years. So I've, I've kind of been like perfectly situated, which is with my personal professional background to kind of like you know, jump into this stuff pretty quickly and be pretty, knowledgeable about it without having to have a big ramp up period, which has been helpful for myself. So when you look at a situation
1: like the ACC has right now with Florida state, um, being the loudest in the one who's uh, about their position in the conference with a grant of rights that lasts another 12 years. Um, I mean, is there anything that they can do or like, how do you see that playing out? Because, All the other conference realignment things happened when those agreements were about to expire. This one um, has three more presidential elections in it.
2: Yeah, the, the grant of rights is obviously a big issue there. And I think at some point, if it's not Florida State, it'll probably be some other school in the ACC that tries to either just say, all right, ACC, we want out of this grant of rights. Here's how much we're willing to pay you and they'll just negotiate some sort of, uh, exit agreement. Or if the ACC is not willing to play ball on that, I think there, w- there could be a point where Florida State or whoever, somebody's going to challenge, uh, the grant of rights. Um, when, when you have all this conference realignment stuff and especially with the grant of rights, a big issue is what's known as sovereign immunity. And so when you have state universities like, like Florida State, things can get kind of tricky when you're trying to you know, enforce something against state universities because they're considered part of the state, and sometimes this can be hard to sue a state. Um, so that, that would be an issue that would come up. I know that Florida State and other schools have had their attorneys look at the grant of rights and, and consider ways that they could attack it. So I'm sure if it gets to that point, they already have their strategies mapped out on how they're going to do that. Um, I, I think it would be difficult to defeat the grant of rights in court, but you know, nobody likes to be involved in litigation for too long. And if it got to the point where there is litigation, you know, maybe it would uh, push the ACC to reach some sort of settlement, but it'll be an interesting you know scenario if it ever does get to that point.
0: Mitt, uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but you said you were you were working the O'Bannon case. Were you working it for the NCAA on their side or for O'Bannon and his side?
2: Yeah, so it's interesting. I was on the uh, conference side, which was basically the NCAA side. So That was when I was working as outside counsel for the Big 12 and Conference USA. Um, now, most of the stuff that I do is on university side, um, represent some NIL collectives. So, not necessarily the total opposite side, um, but definitely different than the NCAA and conference side, which is what I had been working on previously.
0: I want everyone to know that we're talking to the guy. When the Big 12 sent ESPN a, hey, shut this down thing, when there was thoughts about maybe tampering or whatever, uh, collusion, or I'm not sure that's probably not the right word. You were in the middle of all that back in the – What, the fall of 2021 after Texas OU and Mike Oresko and the American Conference, et cetera?
2: I had actually gone to my current firm prior to that. So I left the firm that I was at when we were representing Big 12 in 2019. So I was not involved in, in that realignment saga, but I was involved in some of the prior realignments. That the Big 12 had going on.
0: Well, they've only had like 20 of those. Uh, uh, those stories. Yeah,
2: it's, did, it's like never ending. So.
0: When Bob Bowlesby did that, though, how strong of a move was that? Because that did seem to slow things down dramatically and give the Big 12 a chance to respond.
2: Yeah, I think it, it helped the conference um, for sure in in, in rebuilding. Um, I don't. I don't know how much ESPN was was actually scared by. That threat, um, but it probably helped keep the conference together and give them something to rally around, and then you know, get get their their plans together on how they were going to move forward.
1: Mitt, when you were involved in the in the Obannon case, which is, I mean, one the historic one that that started the wall tumbling down. When did you see the tide start to turn, and then when the decision was made, did you see this? as the inevitable outcome of, of what was going to happen to, to college athletics?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, You can kind of tell just throughout that whole case. uh, That was the first case that, you know, judge Wilkin who was a judge in O'Bannon and Austin and is the judge in the house cases pending now. So this was kind of, that was her first college athletics related case. And up until that point, Generally, courts had been pretty receptive to the arguments about amateurism and had been really deferential to college, to the MCAA's uh, athlete compensation rules. And you could just kind of tell that Judge Wilkin was not necessarily buying those arguments like courts had in the past. Um, And at the trial of that case as well, you could tell she was really, really skeptical about things. Um, and then once the decision came out that found that the NCAA's rules that did not allow athletes to monetize or NIL at all uh, violated antitrust law, um, that was a huge decision. It was really the first case that found the NCAA's athlete compensation limits did violate antitrust law. Um, and personally, my, myself, you know, I thought, that that would probably lead to some some more change than what actually occurred leading up to Alston, um, but it didn't change a, a ton from like the NCAA and conference perspective. I think they kind of just thought it was this one-off decision, and you know it, it was an outlier. I also, th- I also think that they thought they'd be able to get it overturned on appeal, um, which it was appealed to the Ninth Circuit and. A little bit of it got got overturned, but most of it it got affirmed by the Ninth Circuit, and it never ended up going to the Supreme Court. Even though both sides asked the Supreme Court to take the case, it declined. Um, but yeah, that that was really the, the beginning of getting to where we are now with the NCAA having all kinds of antitrust problems, and it was it was really all because of O'Bannon. and then Alston went even farther than that because it did go to the Supreme Court and they where they lost. Nine, zero. How much would you
0: say? We appreciate your time. How much would you say? Where the NCAA is today? It seems like they got arrows being, or darts being thrown from every direction. Is stubbornness that they should have known better twenty, twenty five years ago, or they just thought they were just this was never going to happen?
2: Yeah, I, I do think that a lot of people in leadership positions never thought we would get to a point where we are now. And I, I do think if twenty, twenty five years ago, if Plan would have been put together where athletes would have received some sort of direct compensation, and that model was blessed by Congress with you know kind of what they're asking for now that that says we get an antitrust exemption and college athletes cannot be employees. Twenty to twenty-five years ago, I think Congress probably would have been really receptive to that. Um, the general public would have probably viewed that as you know, a really good deal and a fair deal. And I think the chances of that happening would have been a lot higher than they are today.
0: Mitt, we appreciate it. Uh, what are your thoughts about the Power 2 trying to separate it, whether it's in the next 2-5 to five or 7-10 to 10 years of the SEC and the Big Ten? What will that do?
2: Yeah, uh, that would be an interesting scenario. I, I think something that could push things in that direction is if and when at least some college athletes are declared employees, I think that could really be an impetus for those two conferences and maybe some other schools, teams as well to kind of say, all right, we really need to get serious about something that's totally different than the way we're operating now. Um, so let's, let's examine a breakaway from the NCAA and really just start our own governing organization, at least for our football teams and maybe some other teams. Um, but I, I think that could be a really big uh, turning point there with with the employment issue that could push things in that direction.
0: Thank you, man. Love the uh, follow on Twitter. Again, at Mitt at, at Winter Law, he is uh, with us. Thanks for your time, Mitt. Have a great weekend with all the things that are going on with the NCAA college athletics, too. Uh, By the way, Dalen Evans, who's uh, supposedly committed, he is, to Texas A&M, was going to make that decision or sign today. Apparently, he will not sign today. There are thoughts that UT, among others, are right there in the middle of that grill.
1: Among others, it's UT. All
0: right. uh, (laughs) I mean. So there's that, uh, yet another possible change uh, in or on the horizon. That doesn't mean it will be, but that is interesting. He will not apparently sign today.